0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the
1: Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of of grace, grace, the the Lord Lord is with with thee, thee. blessed art thou among women, women, and and blessed blessed is the the fruit of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Jesus. Blessed art thou among women, and And blessed blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of His resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The church is honoring a few especially well-known saints this week, and on this episode, Bishop talks about the lives of St. Dominic, St. Lawrence, and St. Claire. Then it's on to the gospel reading for today, which tells the story of a Canaanite woman pleading with Jesus to heal her daughter. Bishop reflects upon the woman's humility and great faith. Then the show wraps up with Bishop answering questions listeners have submitted. If you would like to ask Bishop a question, just go to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our bishop. This is actually gonna be our last episode before uh, we give you a little break, Bishop, because you're actually doing a trip to Africa, which we'll have to do a a follow-up when you get back. I can't wait to hear all about your trip. I know you've mentioned a little bit, going over there
1: for an ordination. Yes. The congregation of the Holy Spirit, they're they are called the Holy Ghost Fathers or sometimes called the Spiritans, they've been asking me for years to come over and to ordain, uh, celebrate ordination, to ordain new deacons and priests. So finally, I was able to arrange it in my schedule, so I'll be uh, celebrating this ordination. We have four or five Spiritan priests here in our diocese, so we've had a long relationship with them. And this is one of four provinces of the Spiritan order in Nigeria. And this province is the one that sends priests to serve here in our diocese. Some of them also to, to study or teach at Notre Dame. So we've had a long relationship with them. So. As kind of a, a expression of our gratitude, I said yes, and I'll be. It'll be the biggest ordination. It's going to be a mass that has the ordination of deacons and priests together in the same ceremony, and I think I'm ordaining like 14 new priests and 10 new deacons. So it's going to be quite a uh, a celebration. You do that in like a soccer stadium or something like that? (laughs) I don't know. I don't really know much. You know, when I come back, I'll tell you what it's it's like, but Uh, I imagine it's going to be, I hear it's beautiful, and I'm just looking forward to experiencing the liturgy there, the music, and I understand in the offertory procession, the the offertory procession there could be 45 minutes long because they bring food and animals and everything, So, but I'll tell you all about it. I'm excited about it. Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: If you ever need a cameraman to go along with you, let me know. (laughs) Sure. All right. Well, today is also the feast of St. Dominic, founder of the Dominicans, and I don't know if this is a fact or if it's a legend or a a suspicion that he had, uh, blessed mother, appeared to him in the year
1: 1214 and gave him the rosary? Yeah, you know, it's a tradition that some scholars take exception to because we know that it took, uh, that the rosary really developed through many, many years. In other words it's kind of sketchy how it began but the use of beads for prayers for counting our fathers and hail marys we do know in the middle ages that happened Hmm. but the structure evolved between the 12th and 15th centuries so the rosary as we know it today with the five decades and the sets of mysteries that really wasn't set until the 16th century so what was saint dominic's role in it we really aren't very sure. I mean, historically, if you look at the early accounts of, of Dominic's life, they don't mention the rosary. The uh, Dominican constitutions don't link Dominic with the rosary either. So, I don't really know how that tradition. There might be some historical connection where where maybe you know because as I said, it was it was a development evolution over a few centuries. Perhaps he preached about using the rosary at that time it wouldn't have been the rosary as we know it mm-hmm. today it okay. would have been the use of beads praying our fathers and hail marys but not set with the mysteries and everything as mm-hmm. we know the rosary today
0: all right and then last week we talked about the jesuits and said so because it was the feast of saint ignatius loyola uh, today being the feast of saint dominic
1: what do we know about the dominicans well you know, Dominic was the founder, and it was a, a, a mendicant order like the Franciscans, and they were preaching friars. This is the late 12th century, early 13th century. Dominic was born at, uh, in the year 1170. He was Spanish. Mm-hmm. He was born in Spain. And um, he was a great preacher himself. And then he had companions who joined him in preaching. And at that time, the church was dealing with a heresy in southern France called the Albigensian heresy. So Dominic and his companions were preaching in that area. So they were opposing the Albigensian heresies, which really it was a heresy that denied the incarnation. It it, it denied the sacraments. It even denied the Old Testament. The Albigensian doctrine was dualistic in the sense that it looked at that there were two opposing principles, good and evil, and they considered all matter, all material things as being evil, and even to say that the creator of the material world was the devil. So there were a lot of problems. So mm-hmm. so Dominic and his companions preached against these heretics, preached the true faith, and as things developed, they became an actual religious order called the Dominicans, the Order of Preachers. That was their charism. They led lives of contemplation, a lot of prayer, but they went out to preach, and they were traveling preachers at the beginning, itinerant preachers. And of course, it went through the problem, the the process similar to the Franciscans because they were contemporaries, where it needed approval from Rome and. When that came, then the community grew. The Dominicans still, that's their main charism today, is teaching. We Mm -hmm. know they're founders of universities. Even back in the time of Dominic himself, they were at the University of Paris. They were at the University of Bologna, which were great medieval universities, so they set up friaries at those universities so they've contributed a lot to the spread of the faith and the defense of the faith you know we often think of of the dominicans as defenders of the faith because they began by fighting the albigensian heresy
0: you mentioned we have some jesuits up at notre dame do we have any
1: dominicans in the diocese we do well, there's a house of Dominicans up at Notre Dame as well. Okay. So, and they're wonderful. So, we're very blessed to have both a Jesuit house and a Dominican house. And they're always willing. They help out at local parishes. They'll give Days of Recollection, both uh-huh. orders for our priests. They really are wonderful men. And, and yeah, we're very much blessed by the diversity of religious congregations in our diocese. Of course, Notre Dame itself is the Holy Cross Congregation as is Holy Cross College with the brothers mm-hmm. we are very blessed in our diocese especially a diocese our size to have these uh religious orders yeah a lot of diversity yep all right well i'm going to make an attempt to uh
0: segue here from st dominic who had a dream about a dog carrying a torch To today's gospel, which makes a reference to dogs. Is that a stretch? Does it work? It's a little stretch, Kyle, but go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So today's gospel is the Canaanite woman's faith, which comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And should I maybe just read the gospel and then we can
1: chat about it a little bit? Yeah. In case some of the listeners may not remember it, it's, you know what, Kyle, this was is probably one of the most difficult gospels to preach on. Oh. I, uh, uh, at least when I was, for many years, I've struggled with this gospel. So maybe some of our listeners struggle with this gospel too. So you can uh, read it and I'll give some reflections. Yeah. Let's make you preach on it then if this is the most <laughs> difficult one. All right. At that time, Jesus
0: withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not say a word in answer to her. His disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did him homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, it is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, "O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed
1: from that hour. Yeah, I think why a lot of people find this difficult is it's not the way we would think that Jesus would speak. And I think it's important, I think I kind of learned this through the years, that that our Lord spoke this way, I think, to teach us something. It wasn't that he was being overly harsh towards this woman, because what he really wanted to do is hold her up for us as a model of faith. Mm. So he was really testing her faith, and she, kept up, even after Jesus, uh, of course, the disciples wanted her to be sent away. But the fact that Jesus said it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs, the dogs are really a comparison with the Gentiles. And she didn't really take offense at that. Um, Hmm. She knew that she didn't really have a claim on the God of Israel or the Messiah. But she still believed and she trusted that the God of Israel was good and merciful. So she kept up. And God didn't ignore her plea for help. He didn't abandon her daughter. So I think Jesus was testing her faith. And then, because of her perseverance, he was able to hold her up as a great model of faith and perseverance for us to imitate, to be persistent in prayer like she was. Jesus said a great compliment, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And then her daughter was healed. Mm -hmm. So, even though Jesus gave her this trial and his words, it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. In other words, the food of the children of Israel and throw it to the Gentiles. She was so clever in her response. Yeah. You know, please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Oh, my goodness. He, she was clever, and her faith was was real. And humility, too, right? I mean, oh, yeah. to, to put herself in that
0: situation of, of being willing to just take whatever scraps. Yes, yes. Humble faith. All right. I, I suppose also are we to be that persistent when we pray and ask for something and it's not originally granted? Is there a chance that God might be testing us to see if we persist as well?
1: That's true. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, coming up, we will talk about the feast of St. Lawrence patron saint of comedians and answer questions submitted by listeners right here on truth and charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame federal credit union.
2: If you're enjoying Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, be sure to check out Redeemer Radio's other locally produced programs, including The Kyle Hyman Show, Dr. Doctor, and Church Life Today. To listen to previous episodes of any of these, go to RedeemerRadio.com and select Audio Library, or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and listen there. You can also submit questions for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future episode of Truth and Charity on the app or website. Or if you have a question for Dr. Doctor, a show featuring three physicians from the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese, you can submit it there too. So don't forget the Redeemer Radio app and website for past episodes of all our locally produced shows. Thanks for listening to and supporting Redeemer Radio as we continue our mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ.
0: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes I'm Kyle Hyman and on Friday August 10th we will be celebrating the feast
1: of St. Lawrence Deacon and Martyr Can you tell us about St. Lawrence? Great patron saint for our deacons So we thank all of our deacons He was one of the most famous deacons in antiquity In the early church You know the order of the diaconate really flourished In the first centuries of the church And then after that, it went into decline for almost a thousand years, and now we have the restoration mm-hmm. of the permanent diaconate at the Second Vatican Council, and now we have deacons serving uh, a lot of deacons here in our own diocese. But we can learn about this this early deacon, Saint Lawrence. He was the proto-deacon of the Church of Rome, the archdeacon. So, in other words, he was a deacon for the Pope and kind of like the head of the deacons. And the Pope at the time was Sixtus II, who was a saint. So, really, the deacon was in charge of administering the church's goods. So, he was like the Pope's steward. He took care of the material things. Kind of goes back to what the Acts of the Apostles talked about, remember, when the apostles chose the seven to help with the charitable work the waiting, the service at table the widows who were being neglected so really even in the early church we see how the administration of church goods was a job of the deacons mm-hmm. and especially to take care of the poor to be concerned about the poor which St. Lawrence that's why he's renowned he considered the poor to be the treasure of the church, mm-hmm. you know, the sick, the poor, the needy. Some of the listeners probably know the story before he was martyred, he was told to bring the treasures of the church to the emperor. And Lawrence went and gave all the church's material goods to the to the needy and then brought back the poor themselves to the civil authorities. Uh-huh. And he presented them and said, this these are the true treasures of the church and that's true. Uh, We should remember that. And the service of charity is essential to the church's mission. And the deacons remind us of that, the service of charity. He was in deep communion with his bishop. That's another aspect. The deacons, especially in the early church, had this strong connection or communion with the bishop. Today, when we think of deacons, we usually think, okay, they're working in parishes and they're Mm -hmm. connected to the pastors. That's true. But in the early church, they were more connected to the ministry of the bishop. So Lawrence was uh, the chief deacon, the um, archdeacon of the Church of Rome. So he was very close to Pope Sixtus II. And um, Sixtus was arrested and uh, was being uh, led away to martyrdom And this upset, obviously, Lawrence greatly, and he cried out, Why are you going without me? You know, like, you shouldn't go to death alone. I should be with you. I should be sacrificed with you. Hmm. And, And Sixtus replied to Lawrence, I'm not abandoning you. There will be other trials, more difficult trials for you that will come. So he said, and you won't cry anymore because victory awaits us Triumph." Awaits us. Hmm. It's a very moving account, by the way, of this uh, encounter between Sixtus and Lawrence as Sixtus was being led away. You can read it in the account by St. Ambrose. But anyhow, what happened was three days after the martyrdom of Pope Sixtus, and he became a saint, Lawrence was burned on the gridiron. So he did follow his spiritual father, the Pope. There's a famous quip that's recorded by St. Ambrose, Lawrence saying to his torturers as he was laying there on, getting burned on the gridiron, this side is done, turn and eat, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it basically showed how much, how strong Lawrence was in his soul as he endured martyrdom. So he's a wonderful uh, saint. It's, it's actually not just a memorial on the church's calendar. It's the Feast of St. Lawrence. So it's even higher than a regular memorial of a saint. It shows how much esteem the church has for this early deacon of the church. And it seems like he had a sense of humor
0: about him, and, as well as the dedication, and was able to have a balance there. Yes, yes. All right, well, another feast that we're celebrating is who I think is the uh the most unlikely saint to be the patron saint of television <laughs> that of Saint. Clare, whose feast day is Saturday, August eleventh. Uh, saint. Clair was a, a companion of Saint. Francis, and did they start their
1: orders up at the same time the The Poor Clares and the Franciscans?: Yes. St. Clair was basically uh, followed St. Francis. St. Francis was getting started. She was so moved by the ideals that he was living and teaching that she wanted to do the same. Mm-hmm. So really, yeah, it was St. Francis who who received her, her vows. When she was a teenager, she heard St. Francis preaching. Probably in one of the piazzas of Assisi. She was from a noble family and she's probably out there, her family lived right next to the cathedral of San Rufino in Assisi. She probably heard him preaching at the cathedral too. So, she ended up leaving behind and her family was very opposed to this all her wealth, to live a poor life, to follow Jesus, to renounce her noble status. Hmm. She wanted to live this lifestyle that Francis and his friars, his brothers were living So she left her family home. She had to do this secretly because they were so opposed to it. And she went to the Port the little church that St. Francis uh, built. And it was on Palm Sunday. And it was the year 1211. And Francis cut her hair and she put on a rough penitential habit, kind of like the brothers, and consecrated herself totally to God. Hmm. Her family, or relatives, were very much against this but then she had companions other women who joined her and they settled at the church of san damiano in assisi that's it was a small convent that the friars set up for them and she lived at san damiano for more than 40 years with this order of sisters that we call the poor Clares. they were cloistered they lived in prayer they lived a contemplative life And she and Francis had this beautiful friendship, a friendship in Christ. So anyhow, a beautiful community, a monastery of women cloister at the very beginning of the Franciscan movement that we have this female branch of the Franciscans. It's called the second order. You know, the first order are the Friars Minor and the second order are the Poor Clares. Mm -hmm. And we're so blessed in our diocese because we have a community of Poor Clares in Fort Wayne. And there are eight sisters now in the monastery at the old St. Andrew's Rectory, and they're living the rule of St. Clair, and they have a beautiful life of prayer and contemplation. And I think their prayers are so beneficial for the church in our diocese. I would also, if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about the spirituality of of St. Clair, as far as spiritual reading, there are four famous letters that still exist that St. Clair wrote. She wrote to a woman in Prague, Hmm. and she's a saint now, St. Agnes of Prague. She was the daughter of the king of Bohemia. When you read those letters, you you just see and feel St. Clair's profound love for Jesus as she was guiding this this young woman, Agnes of Prague. And also, you you understand better Claire's love for holy poverty. Hmm. You said that's one of the letters and there's more as well? Those four letters, we have a few other writings of hers, but those would be the ones that have the most information okay. of her spirituality.
0: And then, can you explain the, the concept of a cloistered sister, or a cloistered nun, rather, and how that fits in with
1: the the church and, and how they service the church in that way? Yes, a cloistered nun is one, they leave the world, and they live their whole lives in a cloister, in other words, separated from the world, so that they can devote their whole life to prayer, to contemplation. So they live in community, they, provide usually for themselves or others through their generosity bring them help they often will have gardens where they'll tend their own vegetables etc so but it's primarily a life of prayer and they enter very deeply into the mystery of Christ but they're not some people say oh that means they're separated from the church I would say no they're at the very heart of the church Hmm. you know it's hard for people to understand I think especially parents who of a daughter is called to the cloister life? That's such a big sacrifice. That can be so hard that their their daughter will not be able to come home mm-hmm. or and visit. You know, because they're living their whole life in the cloister. But there are visits allowed. But they mm-hmm. visit through a grill. Yeah. Uh, the only times the sisters would leave would be, for example, for medical care or needing hospitalization or something like that. But the whole idea is to dedicate one's life to Christ through contemplation. And have you been to Assisi? Dozens and dozens of times. I used to go there when I was a student in Rome, I often went there on days off, Uh and I'd spend an overnight. I used to love hiking in the hills of Umbria, different Franciscan sites in that region. I prayed many, many times at the tombs of both Francis and Claire, prayed many times in front of the crucifix of san damiano the one that spoke to to uh, francis mm-hmm. i also always love to visit san damiano and you can see the refectory you see the chapel where the saint claire and the first poor Clares prayed also their refectory where they had their meals together and they also showed the room the dormitory room where where saint claire died so you can see all of that still there 800 years later There's also the famous story of when the Saracens, the barbarians, were attacking Assisi and St. Clair came out holding the monstrance and they just got afraid and they turned away. So St. Clair was credited with saving the town of Assisi from destruction. Oftentimes, that's why you see in statues and paintings, St. Clair depicted holding the monstrance. Yeah.
0: All right. And then our local nuns that are cloistered, do they also make sacrifices of modern convenience like
1: refrigeration and things like that? Yes, yes. They live very poor. They live from the alms of others, donations from the faithful. Our people are so generous. They love having the poor clares, so they'll bring them food, and they live very simply. They sleep in cells, you know, very small rooms, so they're living really a life of poverty. I celebrate Mass in the cloister. You know, people generally aren't allowed to enter the cloister, but the bishop is. Once a month, generally, I'll celebrate Mass with them and have breakfast with them to see how they're doing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if people have special intentions, believe me, it's a powerhouse of prayer. You can send them. Okay, Send them to the poor Clares if you have special prayer intentions. They're praying so much all the time. So, I always bring them every month. I'll bring special prayers personal prayer intentions to uh-huh. them and what a support that is to know that these nuns are praying for me and for my intentions yeah all right well good to know all right if you have any questions for bishop you can ask
0: them by going to redeemer slash ask bishop you can call or text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 and coming up Bishop will answer questions about spiritual directors, the history of Catholicism in the United States, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. I'm going to be asking some questions that were submitted by listeners. Our first question comes from Yoli Tone from St. Charles in Fort Wayne said, I thoroughly enjoyed listening about the history of the Catholic Church in the United States. I would like to know if there are any books available that contain the history, as Bishop explained, on the 4th of July that I could buy or
1: read. Yes, you know, when I had a course on American Catholic history years ago, our textbook—it's uh, called *American Catholics: A History of the Roman Catholic Community in the United States*—by hmm. Jesuit Father James Hennessy. James Hennessy, and that was published back in 1981 by Oxford University Press. But even you know, since then, I don't think I've read anything better than that on kind of a review of American Catholic history. So, I recommend that again, Father James Hennessy. The title of the book is American Catholics. It's very, very good, and um, the first chapters deal with the early history beginning, of course, with the Spanish, because they were the first missionaries, and then the French in Louisiana and also the the Midwest, and then English America, Maryland, and then Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, the original colonies. So that is what I would recommend. There's also another book that I would recommend written by a famous Catholic Church historian, Monsignor John Tracy Ellis, and that's titled American Catholicism. And again, there's a very good chapter on the church in colonial America. So, those are two books that I would recommend American Catholics by James Hennessy and American Catholicism by John Tracy Ellis. And
0: if. You didn't get a chance to hear the episode on July 4th. Definitely go back and listen to it. It was fascinating hearing you talk about early history of Catholicism in the United States. You can find that at com slash AskBishop. You can not only ask your questions there, but also listen to past episodes there as well. Or wherever you get podcasts or in the Redeemer Radio app. All right. Anne Noble from Queen of Peace in Mishawaka said, a Protestant friend insisted recently that Jesus said a marriage was dissolved if one of the partners committed adultery. My research took me to the King James Bible, Matthew chapter 19, in order to find such a passage. However, the New American Bible does not say this. Instead, the NAB says, unless the marriage is unlawful,
1: could you please explain this? Thank you. That's a very controversial issue, by the way, especially between Catholics and Protestants. Really, uh, it's it's really what's called the exception clause in Matthew 19. Jesus say to you, "Whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, that's the exception. Okay, and marries another commits adultery." So there's different translations. The Greek word is porneia, porneia. We get the word pornography from that, by the way, porneia.
0: Mm-hmm. This is the word that's used for unlawful in that yes, translation? And okay. it,
1: well, the question where the Protestant friend said, translated it adultery. Uh-huh. Well, we do not believe that. There's another Greek word for adultery, moi kao, moichao, M-O-I-C-H-A-O. St. Matthew did not use the Greek word for adultery. Hmm. He used the word porneia which generally refers to an illicit sexual union like incest, an incestuous relationship. So some translations will say, except on the ground of unchastity. So there's different translations of that word porneia, but adultery would not be a good translation. There is another word. And that's why we don't consider adultery grounds for an annulment, you know? So, what does it mean? What, what kind of illicit sexual union are we talking about? We believe as Catholics that it has to do with something that would in, have invalidate the marriage from the beginning. For example, an incestuous relationship. Marriage between relatives that are too close that's illicit sexual mm-hmm. union so one has to be very careful in interpreting this passage and also which bible translation one is using mm-hmm. um there's some good biblical scholarship on this whole issue you can do a search of that word pornea, but very clearly there were certain marital unions that were prohibited at the time of Jesus in the Jewish relationship like an incestuous relationship. So we believe that's what Jesus was talking about. That's the exception. That's the Matthewan exception, the exception in Matthew, a marital practice that we would say made the marriage illicit, invalid from the beginning. That's why adultery is not an exception. It'd be one of these other illicit sexual relationships like incest all right and i might caution people doing
0: searches for that word i'm not sure what it might pull up with if you, if you oh do that's that. true that's true all right another listener asked what is the purpose of a spiritual director should everyone have one
1: well, I don't think it's possible for everyone to have one because there's not enough. I know some people do have spiritual directors. It is a good practice, I think. You know, priests are encouraged to have spiritual directors. They help us. Ultimately, our spiritual director, director is the Holy Spirit. But it can be a, a person who has training in spiritual direction that helps us in, in our discernment, in spiritual discernment in our lives. If we know someone who's wise and holy prayerful himself or herself that we can go to to seek advice, guidance in our life of prayer and living a life of discipleship. But one has to be careful. You want to have someone who truly has, you know, is a good example also and has knowledge about spiritual matters. Mm -hmm. So not all spiritual
0: directors are priests, but are all priests spiritual directors?
1: That's a good question. I would say no not all priests because some priests don't feel may not feel that they're very good at that okay i would say most priests probably have the ability to give good spiritual direction obviously they've Uh had a lot of training and but there might be some priests who really don't feel that they have that gift
0: is that something that would be taught during seminary
1: Yes, I had a course on spiritual direction, okay. but oftentimes to be a good spiritual director, it's good to have some additional courses beyond what one would have in the seminary. All right. Well, you can ask
0: your question by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have more questions like, does a rosary need to be blessed? And if Bishop has any fears or phobias, Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking questions that have been submitted for Bishop to answer. And our next question comes from Angie Lingenfelter from St. Therese Little Flower in South Bend, asked, if I have a rosary that has not yet been blessed are my prayers as efficacious
1: if it is prayed with the same devotion using a blessed rosary yeah I'd say the efficacy of prayer is is based on what's in our hearts so whether a rosary is blessed or not I don't think is gonna uh, has an influence on the efficacy of the prayer okay so one might ask then well why do you even Bother having them blessed. Yeah. I think it's a good practice because then it becomes a sacred object. It's it's an object that's dedicated to God, and therefore it, it is a good practice. It also unites us, I think, in a way with the church, with the with the one who blesses it, with the priest, and um, what he represents. He represents the church. So, whether one's talking about a rosary or a crucifix or or whatever. I think it is a good practice, it then becomes a sacred article and therefore a sacramental. But they don't op- operate uh, like sacraments. You know, sacraments are uh, effective by their nature themselves. God mm-hmm. is always offering his grace and giving his grace in the sacraments. That's not the same with a sacramental. So even if a rosary is not blessed, It's still something that has value. But once it is blessed, it's set apart for sacred use. It has the blessing of the
0: church. All right. What process is Mother Angelica in for sainthood? Do you think she'll be able to become a saint someday? Are there any known miracles
1: associated with her? You know, I really don't know if the process has officially begun. And maybe she will become a saint someday. I mean, obviously the church does a very thorough and exhaustive study of the person's life Mm -hmm. and their writings and their teachings and witnesses, et cetera. I think a lot of, there are a lot of people who have devotion to Mother Angelica and I don't know of any miracles attributed, associated with her at this point, there might be. But yeah, it would follow the process of, of anyone who's being proposed for canonization. And for those that don't know about Mother Angelica, she's the one that founded the
0: EWTN TV and radio networks and all that's kind of branched into all kinds of other things too, print and things like that. Another question submitted was, is it consistent with Catholic teaching to believe that life exists on other planets and that aliens have visited ours?
1: (laughs) Well, it's not a question I, I would say of belief. It's a question of science. Okay, If there are aliens, if there are intelligent creatures on other planets or whatever, that's a question of science. Um, now, some scientists that I've read is, they would say that it's, it's a remote possibility mm-hmm. that there's this kind of life on other planets. But I don't know. You know, What if the question of intelligent life on other planets, you know, then all kinds of questions says, would arise, like do they have a soul? Mm-hmm. There's intelligent life elsewhere. And these are all, uh, I mean, God is the creator. He could. I mean, God could have created other life with intelligence. Um, So it's an interesting speculative question, but we do not hold, the Catholic Church does not hold an official teaching regarding extraterrestrials. It's possible if we do ever find intelligent life elsewhere, there'd be other questions that would definitely come up Uh and uh, questions about salvation, for example, or baptism. I think it was, uh, I don't remember if it was Pope Francis who in a homily talked about what if a group of Martians uh, arrived, should we baptize them, (laughs) what would happen? Um, But in any event, I think um, it's a question of science and if aliens do exist, then so be it we don't have to fear their creation because god would be behind it Mm -hmm. have you ever seen a ufo no no have you (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) remember god's creativity is is boundless you know um Mm. yeah we're definitely human beings are the pinnacle of god's creation on earth whether god created other beings in a distant galaxy with some measure of intelligence it's possible but who knows sure all right, one more question from a listener.
0: Do you have any fears or phobias like heights, tight spaces, spiders,
1: et cetera? You know what? I would just say I, a mild fear of heights. Uh-huh. And I notice that if I'm on a tall structure, tall building or whatever, a tower, where there's no guardrail or, uh-huh. or where there's just a little guardrail or something, I can't get close to it. I get afraid so i wouldn't say it's a, a bad fear of heights i'd say it's a moderate fear of heights or mild fear ladders i don't know where that came no Tall ladders because i'm holding on okay i'm i'm pretty good with that it's just like if i'm in an open space okay high up airplanes window seat no that doesn't bother okay because i'm enclosed yeah spiders no no problem with spiders <laughs> I've had MRIs a couple times. It's a little uncomfortable, oh. but I wouldn't I don't think I have claustrophobia. All right. Well,
0: we mentioned that uh, you're going to be traveling, so we're having some special guests over the next two episodes. We have, we've been talking about deacons earlier today. We're going to have Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa, are going to be joining us. They work for the diocese, and they've got a lot of different ministries that they're helping out with, so we'll hear from them. Great. And then also, Father Andrew Budzinski is going to be joining us. We'll be talking about vocations and things like that. That's He's the wonderful. vocations director.
1: Well, so. Kyle, thanks for giving me this time off. <laughs> you've
0: earned it <laughs> and I can't wait to hear about your trip and, and uh, by now people might have seen some pictures and stuff like that so yeah. thank you so much for again taking some time out of your schedule to join us today and could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go sure the Lord be with
1: you and with your spirit blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth may almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle.
2: Join us next week for another new episode of Truth in Charity. Since Bishop will be out of the country, we'll have special guests in the studio talking with Kyle. First up, Father Andrew Budzinski, vocations director for the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, and pastor at St. John the Baptist Parish in Fort Wayne. Learn more about the state of vocations in our diocese and much more. Then the following week, it's Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa, hear about their work serving our diocese in the Evangelization and Discipleship Secretariat. Even though Bishop is traveling, you can still submit a question for a future show by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, or download the Redeemer Radio app and select Ask Your Questions. To hear previous episodes, choose Audio Library or search for Truth and Charity anywhere you listen to podcasts. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.